the shame and the guilt that you had mentioned, like I'm eating this and therefore I'm really bad and disgusting and gross and diet starts tomorrow and I need to work this off at the gym. You're restricting pleasure and satisfaction by shaming yourself while you're eating something. So that's always one of the first steps that I take my clients through is like, let's really take a look at where all of the ways restriction is popping up. And when we stop, when we start to eliminate the restriction, which inherently is food rules, it's meaning attached to what we're eating. Like I'm bad for eating that. It's judgment. It's trying not to eat things. When you actually no longer have that, a lot of your brain space is freed up because then you're like, oh, I'm just, I'll just eat that now. That sounds good. Period. Moving on with my life. Welcome to the Well-Balanced Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Botel. You've come to a place where we have meaningful and inspiring conversations that I hope can foster change towards respecting, accepting, and loving ourselves. Stepping away from the cycle of dieting and into a radical inside-out approach to health where you can fully realize your worth. If this sounds like something that you are looking for, then you are in the right place. I can't wait to have you listen in. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome back to episode number 13. I'm so happy to have you listening in. As you can tell, I am a little under the weather. I'm sitting here sipping on some lemon water, trying to soothe the voice, but I don't know how well it is working. Yeah, so I took a little break after Christmas, and I was itching to get back and sit down and record and release an episode for you guys, and I could not be more thrilled with who I sat down and chatted with, so let me introduce you to her. Ms. Kara Corinne otherwise known as Kara's Kitchen on the Gram, is a certified health coach and a holistic nutritionist. She is also the host of the Love Your Bod Pod and is a published author with her brand new Vegan Buddha Bowls cookbook. Cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. And my girl is also an online course creator. She is doing it all. Kara was actually one of the first accounts that I started to follow when I started my journey with healing food. She shares so much wisdom over on her account. So if she is not someone who is already in your feed, I would encourage you to go and give her a follow. I have included that link in the show notes and I have also included the Amazon link to her cookbook so you can get a copy of your own. So this episode, guys, like there is so much. I don't even know where to start. Kira really goes into set body weight point and explains what happens when we try to go below it. She also talks on how we can get away from thinking about food all day long. And I mean, that is such a real and hard struggle. And she has some great information and strategies on how to move through that. We also go into exploring where you are restricting yourself. So maybe it's not physically restricting yourself. Maybe it's mentally, maybe it's emotionally, maybe you're restricting yourself of satisfaction and how that is going to play into effect with your relationship with food. Kara talks about overcoming fear around food, accepting your body even when you feel like you can't, and really goes into explaining the paradigm shift that needs to happen going from the diet mindset to the food freedom mindset and how we can start hearing our own bodies again, even if we've silenced them for so many years and really what we can do to get rid of the diet mentality mindset. I was not lying when I said this episode is chocked full of so much goodness. If there is anything that resonates with you from this episode, anything that you take away from it, I would truly appreciate if you shared it on social media. Tag myself and tag Kara in it. It just helps us get that good word out there. And like I said, from the bottom of my heart, I truly, truly appreciate it. So guys, without further ado, let's get to this episode. So excited to introduce my guest to you all today, Karen Corinne Feli of Kara's Kitchen. Welcome. Hi, Jillian. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. If you guys don't know Kara, you are in for some major goodness. I already know this conversation is going to be so jam-packed and really educational because simply I have followed you long enough to know that you have such a beautiful and deep understanding of this all from your own experience and now helping clients. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, so my like story with in, you know, disorder eating, eating disorders, dieting, all of that 
started around 14, 15 when I was a teenager. And I became aware of the fact that my body was changing just like through puberty and growth. And I also started to learn from the women in my life and from the media that I was exposed to that what you looked like was important. It mattered. People were looking, people were paying attention, people were admired for looking a certain way. And my mother was a dieter. And so as soon as I became very afraid of getting cellulite, I went on my first diet. Mm -hmm. And that snowballed into an eating disorder. I had anorexia and then eventually swung the other direction into bulimia. And it really took over my life. It was, food was on my mind all of the time. I thought about it from the moment I woke up to pretty much the moment I went to bed. I was always worried about what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, was I allowed to eat? And I would restrict all the time during the day and like come home and literally stand in the pantry and like shove cookies in my mouth really fast, hoping that like my mom wouldn't come in. And then that fear that I was so afraid of gaining weight, I was so afraid of what the food would do to my body. And that's when the purging started. Mm. And that followed me into my early 20s. And eventually I hit a rock bottom where I had a moment, like, I feel like this was my like first spiritual moment, my first out of body experience. It was as if I was looking at myself from above. I had just finished like a very typical binge and purge episode. And I was looking at myself on the floor crying, like curled up, like next to the toilet and was like, you're either going to die or you're going to get better. What are you going to choose? Cause like, you can't keep living this way. You can't keep doing this. There's just it was so difficult for me to enjoy an otherwise really great life. Mm-hmm. I've been very privileged and very fortunate and have had a really awesome life in a lot of ways. And I didn't have the ability to enjoy it. I was hiding. I was sneaking around. I wasn't going to social events. If I was, I couldn't enjoy myself because I was so worried about the fear of judgment from others. It was interfering with me showing up at like work. And I had this this out of body experience. And I was like, I'm going to get better. I don't care about trying to be the skinniest, prettiest person anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't deal with the obsession that I have with food and the fixation that I have. I was planning out binges, locking myself up in my room. So I decided to get better. And my recovery process was multifaceted. There were a lot of factors that were involved in that. And some of it was becoming really angry about the food system. So I'd watched Food Inc. And I got really excited about plant-based eating. And I was, for the first time, wasn't angry about my body anymore. I was angry about the food system. I was angry about the environment. I was angry about animals, all of these things. And it was a transformative experience Like me getting out of guilt and shame around my body and then me getting angry about something outside of me was really transformative. Now, I am well aware of the fact that plant-based diets and veganism can be people's eating disorders, like their disordered eating can be veganism. So I fully understand that like plant-based eating might be very triggering and that they need to broaden the foods that that they eat. So everybody's journey is individual. So I want to just put that out there. But by no longer being in guilt and shame about my body and being angry about the outside world, I actually freed up my mental capacity to think about something else. Like it was no longer about my weight. It was like this bad stuff is happening in the world. And that was transformative. In addition to like a lot of personal development work dealing with childhood trauma that I had experienced growing up, but it took me three years and I got to a place where I felt highly recovered. And then five years, six years, maybe seven years gone by. And then I found health coaching. So I had like all these other careers, found health coaching, stumbled upon intuitive eating, which was required reading in my health coaching certification that led me to health at every size, body respect, why diets don't work, um, eating in the light of the moon, women, food, and God, like all these books that I like had never heard about in recovery, but that just like, I was like, Oh wow. I had a wake up call of like, wow. Like there's this whole other way to approach food and there's all these people struggling and long story short. Now I'm here doing this full time and it's awesome. I had read intuitive eating and I thought it was really great. 
Um, and I really loved it. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. But I very much, when I first started mm-hmm. and I had said like, I'm going to school, I'm, I'm selling the restaurant, I'm becoming a nutritionist and a health coach. Everybody was like, I want to hire you. Can you give me a meal plan? Can you support me in eating real foods? I want to lose X amount of pounds. Like, can you help me? So my uh, first round of health coaching clients, I took on some pro bono while I was still in school to get practice. And I took on some like, you know, low paying clients and then eventually had some like higher paying clients and everybody wanted like real food, meal plans and weight loss. Right. Okay. And what I had started to discover with pretty much all of my clients, which starting out initially, they were predominantly men in their forties and fifties. I had a few women who were forties and fifties, but I didn't have a lot of like younger clients when I first started out for whatever reason, that's just how it ended up looking. And what I started to pick up on was disordered eating. And because I had an eating disorder, I was so aware of what I was seeing. I was like, this person's struggling with the binge restrict cycle. Okay. They're not throwing up, but like, I know this, I did this. I was like, what is happening? And it was through really realizing that by putting these restrictions in place, by fixating on the number on the scale, they were mentally not feeling good about themselves. They were shaming themselves. They were getting caught up in this binge restrict cycle and it just wasn't working. And so I was like, what is happening? I was like, I can see, I had some awareness of what was happening, but I was like, but what is really going on here? And that's when I started, I turned to the internet and I discovered all of those books that I had mentioned. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is, it's not working. It's unethical. The science doesn't actually support it. And then I shifted. So I worked in like the real food weight loss arena for probably six months and then like went through a rebrand and started talking about this on my Instagram. And then that started. So it was through real lived experience of coaching these clients and seeing what was happening where it's like, they'll lose a little bit of weight and then they gain it back. They lose Like I was watching my clients weight cycle and fluctuate. And, and I was like, what is going on here? And then I switched. Oh, okay. so to my story, same thing. Like I was coaching for Actually, it was a couple years, over a couple of years. And yeah, you know, the repeat clients start to come back and they are like, I did so good on your program. I lost all this weight, but now, you know, I've fallen off. I've gained it back. I just need, you know, someone to hold me to be consistent. And I was like, there has got to be a better way. And it was through my own journey that I I had that self-discovery. And it was the same thing. It was like the next morning I woke up and I was like, I can't. I can't do this anymore knowing because at that time I thought I was helping them. And then now I had this greater knowledge, you know, this realization that it wasn't, it was like doing the exact opposite. And I completely stopped taking clients and I had to rethink everything too, because I was just like, no, I I can't be part of that. I can't have, you know? Yeah. I feel like there is this greater awareness that is starting to happen around the fact that the system of dieting doesn't work. But I feel that sometimes we still think that we might be that exception and that if we just find the right diet, we'll be finally able to get to this magical place and maintain it, which just doesn't happen to be true the majority of the time. I really want to help people understand why dieting doesn't work and what that means for them and their desire to lose weight. And then also how we can go about feeling good in our bodies and pursuing health. Do you want to maybe start to break down, I know this is such a loaded question, but why dieting doesn't work? Yeah, I love this question. And I am sharing a lot of research from Dr. Sandra Amit, who's a neuroscientist, PhD, and she deeply studied the weight set point theory and deeply studied the parts of our brain that control our weight. So I'm going to be sharing a lot of her research. Just want to shout her out before I dive into this. That's great. She has a TED talk and a book. Go check it out. So we're taught in society that we have a lot of control over our body and weight. We're told that weight loss is simply a matter of like calories in, calories out. It's simply a matter of eating the right foods, avoiding the wrong foods, and exercising enough. And we've really dumbed down it to that simple of a form. It's just like 
what you eat and what you don't eat. And we have been fed this sort of lie that you should be able to lose weight. And if you can't lose weight, it's your fault. You're a failure. You don't have control. You're not doing it right. You're doing something wrong. And because we do have some people who can lose weight and keep it off, we have this assumption that everybody should be able to lose weight and keep it off. And we now know we have large bodies of research that show us that this isn't actually the case. Now, what we have discovered is that for the vast majority of people, weight loss can occur in the short term, in the interim, but often there's going to be a corrective mechanism that will result in you gaining back the weight. And as a protective mechanism against future weight loss, you often gain even more. And that's if you look at this from a historical perspective, from an evolutionary biological perspective, starvation was a very real threat to humans. We migrated long distances to find food. We didn't always have Grubhub. We didn't always have frozen foods, the microwave. Like starvation was a very real threat. And so when you think about this from a biological standpoint, gaining weight was protective. And who survived famine? Fatter people. People who stored weight more easily. People who were able to maintain weight and gain weight were those that actually survived famine because their body had stuff to help keep them alive. So the mechanism inside our brain that actually controls this, I, I don't want to say the wrong part of our brain, but I want to say the amygdala, but somebody fact checked me. We have this part of our brain that actually controls and regulates our weight. And it works like a thermometer. It works like a thermostat. So if you imagine that you have the thermostat set to like 70 degrees and you open up a window and it's really cold inside, eventually, and the temperature will drop in the house. So like, let's say the thermostat drops to like 68 or whatever, the thermostat's going to automatically kick on the furnace to bring it back up to 70 degrees. So your body weight regulation system works in the same way. If you restrict food and over-exercise and lose a lot of weight and you end up getting below the weight at which your body likes to be at. So for example, like the 30 degrees on the thermostat, let's say your body has a weight where it likes to be at and you get below it, your body's going to work really hard to get you back up to that happy weight, mm -hmm. to that weight at which it likes to be at so it can maintain homeostasis. And now what happens with a lot of dieters is diets work initially. Initially they work and then you hit a plateau and then it's like, I'm doing the same things and I'm no longer losing weight or I'm doing the same things and the weight's coming back on. Do I need to restrict more? Right. That's literally your body trying to get back up to its weight set point. Now weight set point is a range. It's not one fixed weight. It's very common and natural for our body to fluctuate in weight depending on like the season, depending on if we've exercised or just sweat or if we ate a big meal or if for women, if we're menstruating and if we're on our period or if we're going through menopause or postpartum, it's very common for natural fluctuations in weight to occur. So your set, your weight set point theory is somewhere between five and 20, your weight set point range, excuse me, is somewhere between five and 20 pounds is what I have read in the research. It varies based on uh, ethnicity, gender, how tall you are, et cetera, et cetera, a number of factors. So it can vary. And natural fluctuations aren't cause for alarm. But if you're someone who's fixated on your weight and you're constantly getting on the scale, you're going to become, you're going to freak out if you have a natural fluctuation. And it could literally just be like, oh, you had something that caused a little bit of inflammation the day before. And it's not actual, like you put on pounds. It's just your body just needs to process it. So the reason why diets don't work and why our bodies will fight against it and why weight loss is hard for a lot of people to maintain and or why it's hard for people to lose weight and reach that thin ideal that we have in society is because their set point range is higher. Their bodies fight really hard against it. And we know that like two people could eat the exact same amount of food and exercise the exact same way and still look radically different from one another. Mm -hmm. So it's wrong to assume and it's, it's false and it's also harmful to operate from the paradigm in which if you can't lose weight, it's your fault. It's just the science does not back that up. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Is there more to that? Is there, okay. No, that makes perfect sense. And what's that, what society has taught us now is it's put the blame on us, which yes. has caused 
you know, a, years and years and years of believing that it's your fault and believing that you just need to try harder and have better self-control. And I kind of want to get into now wellness culture kind of can disguise itself as health and diets often lead to disordered eating and almost normalized disordered eating. Now there is a difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder. And I want people to realize that it doesn't have to get to an eating disorder before it starts to become very toxic to you. Do you want to speak a little to disordered eating? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about disordered eating, I often think that a, a big component of it is that it's really hyper-focused on your weight. And then it, it's really hyper-focused on the amounts of foods that you're eating. And it can also include hyper-vigilance on ingredients or food quality. Now, this is not a conversation around anti-health. It's not a conversation around anti-nutrition. I'm not sitting here saying don't eat vegetables. 100%. So with disordered eating, and you had mentioned how wellness culture can masquerade around as being about health and about well-being, but often it's really just diet culture in disguise. A really good example of that is intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting, while there's research that says it's really great for your brain and yada, yada, yada. Truly, also what you're doing is you're not honoring your body's hunger and fullness cues. Right. You're right. paying attention to some external authority figure like the clock, mm-hmm. as opposed to listening to the wisdom of your body. So what this does is this disconnects you from what it is your body really needs. It disconnects you from how you're feeling. It disconnects you from your hunger and fullness signals. It messes up your hormones, your hunger hormones. And ultimately results in you not trusting yourself and thinking you don't know how to feed yourself and that you need some external authority. That's one example, right? So like, oh, I'm really hungry right now, but it's not 10 a.m. So I can't eat. Whereas intuitive eating and anti-diet teaches us to honor our body's wisdom. It encourages us and teaches us how to trust ourselves and take care of ourselves in the unique ways that we need to be taken care of. Another way that it can masquerade around is the demonization of certain types of foods and it creates a lot of fear mongering. Now it isn't to say like, I'm well aware of like all of the research about like high fructose corn syrup and sugar. Like I've read it all. I was caught up in that for years and like a proponent of all of that. And what I have found is that it leads to fixation, hypervigilance, rigidity. It leads to not participating in family events, not going to social events. Disordered eating is the type of eating that disconnects you from your life. It means like, oh, I can't go to that restaurant because they don't have my type of food. Or mom, I can't eat what you made because it doesn't work for me or it's, I don't eat that. Mm-hmm. And one of the key signs of disordered eating is that, you're, that, it, that food is challenging. That food is something that you pay a lot of attention to, creates stress and anxiety, and that impacts your health truly, because it causes stress. And we all know that stress is bad for the body. So how do we move away from that obsession that, like you said, it's that you're thinking of it all day, every day you wake up, it's the first thing on your mind, you eat something, you're thinking, I shouldn't be eating this, or I should be eating that, or you're having guilt. How do we start to move away from that and free up that mind to think about so much other than just food? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first real step is acknowledging that this is a problem because I think that for a lot of us, we're like, I'm not dieting. I'm taking care of my health. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to first cultivate awareness around the ways in which our health pursuits are actually disordered and in opposition to real health because health is all encompassing. Health is not just what you eat and how you move your body. It's your relationships. It's your fulfillment, your happiness, environmental factors, socioeconomic status, like all of these things influence your health. So the first step is acknowledging that your relationship with food isn't actually all that healthy. That's step one. You have to be willing to admit that there's a problem. Otherwise there's nothing to do. And it can be really challenging to get to that point because our society rewards and praises health, control, willpower, cutting out foods, 
our society praises weight loss, praises exercise. And so it can be really hard to think that you're doing something wrong when our society is like, go you, you know? And so it's challenging to be able to acknowledge disordered eating. Then the step two is, is like commitment. Like, okay, I want to get better. I want to do this. And then like the first actual tangible step, at least with me and my clients is taking a look at where they're restricting Mm -hmm. and working on overcoming all of the ways in which restriction pops up because restriction is like multifaceted. Like it's, it's physical, like, Hey, I'm, I don't eat this food, but it's also a lot of mental and emotional restriction as well of like the shame and the guilt that you had mentioned like I'm eating this and therefore I'm really bad and disgusting and gross and diet starts tomorrow and I need to work this off at the gym. You're restricting pleasure and satisfaction by shaming yourself while you're eating something. So that's always one of the first steps that I take my clients through is like, let's really take a look at where all of the ways restriction is popping up. And when we stop, when we start to eliminate the restriction, which inherently is food rules, it's meaning attached to what we're eating. Like I'm bad for eating that. It's judgment. It's trying not to eat things. When you actually no longer have that, a lot of your brain space is freed up because then you're like, oh, I'm just, I'll just eat that now. That sounds good. Period. Moving on with my life. Right. It's amazing. And it's so important for people to realize that, yes, I've had people say like, but I eat everything. Like if I want the cookies, I just eat the cookies. But it might not be that you're physically restricting. If there's mental restriction, if you're anticipating that tomorrow you're going to restrict yourself, that's enough. Yeah. Like if like I have to make up for this. Right. Yeah. And that contributes to binge eating that contributes to food obsession that contributes to emotional eating as we know it in diet culture, which is like turning to food to cope. So how do people go about moving through fear of certain foods and starting to like habitualize it so that, you know, you kind of bring it down off that pedestal? Yeah. I truly think that this is individual. In my experience, like I've, I've worked with thousands of women at this point and it's individual. What I have found is that for some people getting over fear foods is a slower, more methodical, more controlled approach. I do one food at a time and I start with one cookie and I work on making peace with that and, and practice not making meaning, practice not making up for it. For some people, it's slower and methodical and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I, fully hold space for whatever works. Then there's more of like the intuitive eating approach or like the fuck it diet approach, which is like you allow yourself to eat ice cream every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until you're like fully at peace with ice cream and you don't want ice cream anymore. And you're, you like, all right, I got it. I, I'm, I'm good with ice cream. So there's that approach as well of like giving yourself full unconditional permission to eat, to have all of the foods that you want. And then eventually you realize like, oh, wow, I really can eat them and I'm okay. You realize you don't want them anymore. So I find that like some people just like dive face first and they're like, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy all of my foods, my, my fear foods. I'm going to allow myself to eat them until I'm cool. And then for some people, it's more slow and methodical. And it just depends on you, where you're at and what works for you. And I've seen both approaches be effective. I think it just brings up a good point that Um, it's so easy to fall into that diet culture mentality of like, just tell me what to do and how to do it. And then I'll overcome this. And that it isn't so much that black and white, you know, it's about like turning inwards and saying like, what works for me and what's going to help me on this road to recovery and healing my relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's super individual. I think that there are key principles and key actions that you have to take to get past it. I also think that like the fear is real and the fear is really intense and we just have to let the fear be there. That's the biggest thing. Like if we are waiting for the fear to go away, we're going to stay right where we're at. Like we have to be willing to just do it afraid yeah, and, and come out on the other side. Okay. Yes. You know, and then we start to retrain our brain to not be so afraid. Right. Right. Really understanding what fear is there and how it's serving us and just that we have to move through it. Cause no matter what level you're at, you're at, there's always going to be this level of fear. So you don't escape it. No, like recovery from this, like for the most part, it's like hard and scary because you're literally doing things in an opposite way that you've been doing them 
for a really long time, you're eating things that you've been really afraid of and really restrictive, restrictive around for a really long time. And that's scary and that's challenging. And also as someone who's on the other side, like it's worth it, sister, like keep going, you know, <laughs> keep going. Do you have advice for people who feel like they can't accept their body at the place it's at? Yeah, I definitely have a, some tips and strategies here. So I think a really incredibly powerful, scientifically documented, effective way to help you is to clean up your social media feeds and start exposing yourself to diverse body and diverse bodies. So this is in a clinical sense, it's called exposure therapy. So it's really hard to be uncomfortable with something that you see all of the time. And since in diet culture and even in wellness culture, we're shown like one body type and one picture of health. And that's really what we're used to seeing. And so we've been conditioned and programmed to see that as normal, attractive, good, and right. And everything else is being wrong, not okay, gross, ugly, bad, et cetera. Like we've literally been trained through conditioning of, of being exposed to the same types of images over and over. So then when we look in the mirror and we don't look like that, right. we're dissatisfied. We're unhappy. We think something is wrong with us. When in reality, most people don't look like the ideal. The vast majority of women don't look like the ideal. So by following body positive people, by following fat positive people, by following people in the health at every size, following Lizzo on Instagram, and you start to expose yourself to women of all different shapes and sizes and body types, being appreciated, being adored, being loved, celebrating themselves, dressing up their bodies in like cute clothes and, and just loving and feeling confident you start to be like, oh, that becomes more available to you. So you actually decondition the way that you're used to seeing and you recondition, you deprogram and reprogram. And so you, what will help you is you'll be like, oh, she looks like me or I look like her. She has cellulite. She has belly rolls. She doesn't have a six pack, all of these things. And she's loving life. Oh, maybe that's available to me. Maybe I can learn to be more accepting of my own body. So that's tip number one. And then also just to have compassion on yourself. It's hard. You know, healing, body image is, in my experience, way more challenging than the food. Right. Like it's, I can help people get to a good place with food fairly quickly. The body image is always the more difficult piece because there's so much wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. There's political influences. There's cultural influences. There's like family you know, we've really been taught that like thinness and beauty as women is our gateway to a really awesome life. And so there's a lot at stake. Yeah. And it's really compelling to pursue thinness because you're, you can see the rewards and the punishments given to people based on where they fit in this hierarchy of bodies that we've created. Mm -hmm. And so give yourself some grace and give yourself some compassion that like, it's really challenging. Yeah, that's so true. I think compassion is something that you just have to really keep reminding yourself with through the whole thing because um, I was even just talking to a girlfriend and she was saying how like she, her pendulum, you know, she's went from dieting and dieting and dieting and it's swung the other way and she's kind of just like waiting for it to like even out. And I was saying when you've spent your whole life sometimes with that diet culture mentality and those thoughts, it's not going to be. I mean, it can be, but it's, sometimes it's a long journey. It's constantly, you know, retraining your thought process. Yeah. And it's everywhere. It's in your face. Everywhere. Yeah. Like it's hard. Like you might have decided like, okay, I'm going to embrace health at every size. I'm going to embrace anti-diet. I'm going to embrace, um, you know, body positivity and fat acceptance. I'm going to embrace all of these elements and everyone in your life still might be caught up in diet culture talking about how they need to lose weight and how they need to make up for what they're eating and how they're ashamed of this body part and blah, blah, blah. So it's hard. Like there's like, it's everywhere. And so, yeah, like you said, just that compassion and knowing that like it can absolutely take time. And this is really radical. Like this is a paradigm shifting, like accepting your body. Like we as women are taught that we can't, that body acceptance isn't even an option. How could we be okay with what we look like if we don't look like Giselle Bunchum? Yeah. So it's a yeah. radical shift to actually be like, I'm actually just going to be okay with what I look like. Mm. Yeah. 
I think to understand the magnitude of that is, yeah. Do you feel like people can transition straight into pursuing health? Do you feel like there needs to be some sort of recovery period, even with simply just like yo-yo dieting, years of yo-yo dieting and disordered eating? Or do you feel like um, people can just move right into honoring their health? And what, what does that look like? Do you mean physical health? I'm going to say encompassing health because I feel like that is where your head needs to be. When you decide you're done with dieting, it's because you want to start honoring your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, like you said, the relationship. So when you've come to that realization that, okay, this isn't working, I, I want to be a healthy person and it's going to be that all-encompassing health. So how do you start to make that transition? Mm. Well, I think a lot of us have fear. A lot of us have fear that if I stop restricting and control, that I'm going to go batshit crazy and never take care of my health. If I'm not, if I let myself eat whatever I want, if I were to truly just honor my cravings, I would literally ice cream every single day till the day I die for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the truth is <laughs> you're not going to, because you're, you are going to start to feel physically crappy. You're going to have brain fog. You're going to have bloat. You're going to have indigestion. You're going to be sluggish. You're probably not going to sleep that well. Like you are truly actually going to get to a place where you're like, wow, a salad sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I think I want to address, I want to address that fear first. Cause that's like one of the biggest fears when you talk to anyone about stepping outside of dieting, they're like, well, if I don't watch what I'm eating and force myself to exercise, I'm never going to take care of my health again. We just assume that anti-diet is anti-health. However, what I have found to be true is that if you actually truly value taking care of your health and that holistic scope, right? So not just health in a vacuum, meaning what size my body is, what I eat, what I exercise, but if you actually truly value health and you're not looking at it in a vacuum, you're looking at it as all those components that you had mentioned, by healing your relationship with food, by transitioning into intuitive eating and body wisdom, you're actually going to be, you're going to be more equipped to honor your values than you were when you were restricting and dieting. So do I think that we start out with it right away? I think it's a process. Do we start paying more attention to it and looking at the ways in which we're not actually really taking care of ourselves? Absolutely. And I think it's a process that we get through. But I want to reassure you, if taking care of your health is something that you value now, you're going to con continue to value it. And by a multitude of measures, I am significantly healthier now eating whatever I want, whenever I want, with no food rules yeah. than I was, largely in part because I allow myself to have cake, like truly allow it, full permission, and then I move on with my life. I don't have guilt and shame and then eat the whole cake standing in the fridge with the door open. Right. 100%. I think coming to the realization that dieting is not the answer to becoming a healthier person is um, you know, a big realization. So we've been sold that, that that is the way to health. And now, I mean, it, we're so fortunate that the research is there to show that dieting is not the way to health. But that health is important. And you've touched on that. Like, this is not disregarding nutrition and nourishing your body. And those are all really important things to do. I actually feel like um, dieting really, really, like you were mentioning, disconnects you from your body. So you can't even listen and hear your body saying, I want a salad or I want to eat the cake, whatever it is. But, you know, dieting just silences that completely and really, um, yeah, closes you off to hearing, to hearing what it's telling you. So for people who have been in the diet cycle for so long, and maybe you can't even naturally hear when your body is hungry or full. Um, you know, listening to their body sounds like, yeah, right. My body's not telling me anything. How do you start to rebuild that connection again? Yeah. So before I dive into answering the listening to your body thing, I want to touch on something here is that a lot of us don't think we're dieting. Right. You know, a lot of us are like, well, I'm not on a diet. Like I'm just trying to be healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm not on a diet. This is a lifestyle. I'm not on a diet. This is a protocol or a plan or whatever. And I think that it's really important to distinguish dieting as, as not just being like what you're eating, but it's really a state of mind. It's a way that you're thinking about food. Mm 
and it's with the main purpose of losing weight. So if you're taking care of your health to control your weight, Mm -hmm. that's a diet. Or if you're thinking that I can't eat that, I should eat that, I shouldn't eat that. If I eat this, then I have to exercise. That's the diet mentality. And really it's operating from the diet mentality and you can be doing that while pursuing a lifestyle. So I really want to put that out there that so many of us who are dieting don't think we're dieting because it's rebranded itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dieting is a dirty four letter word that everybody's like, diets don't work. I'm not dieting. I'm taking care of my health, it, yes. but it looks exactly the, the same. Right. It just doesn't have Jenny Craig's st- stamped on it. Yeah. So I want to put that out there. Now, in terms of like, how do you start listening to your body? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but I think one of the ways that you can start to do that is realizing that you're already doing it in some areas. You already can do this. Knowing that listening to your body's signals and cues is innately woven into you, that like this is your default setting. So no matter how far gone you feel, because a lot of us, like you said, we can't even hear or sense or feel our hunger and fullness or when we want rest or when we need exercise because we haven't been paying attention and we haven't been listening for so long, we're really disconnected. And, it, and like I mentioned earlier, our hunger hormones can get all out of whack, all out of whack. So have hope that you can get back there because you absolutely can. Your body's an intelligent machine. Machine might not be the right word, but it's intelligent AF and you can get back there, but start realizing that you do already listen to some of your signals. So like when your body is telling you it's tired, what does that feel like? What does tired feel like for you? Is it a headache? Is it low energy? Do your eyelids get heavy? What does that feel like? Okay. What does it feel like when you need to pee? How does that sensation arise in your body? Okay. When you're I'm trying to think like, okay, we'll just stick with the sleeping or the peeing. Like, what does that feel like? Okay. So you already know that you can listen to your body. Then one of the next steps that I recommend to help us is to eat consistently. One of the ways that we're going to bring our body back into balance, bring our hormones back into balance is by eating consistently. Mm -hmm. So adequately, you know, like aiming for three meals a day as like a generalization, obviously talk to your doctor but to eat more consistently because this helps our body know that food is coming. It helps by eating consistently, our hunger signals, our hormones will start to come back online and we'll start to see consistency in our hunger fullness, our hunger signals, if we're feeding ourselves adequately. Because what happens when we have restriction around food, and this is from Dr. Linda Bacon's book, Health at Every Size, when you are a restrictive eater, what ends up happening is over time, it takes a lot more restriction for you to sense hunger. Mm -hmm. And often you have to eat a lot more food for the fullness signals to come in because your body's all out of whack and your body's afraid that it won't have adequate nutrition, but won't have adequate fuel to survive. So those are two things. Just realize that One, you'll get back there. Two, you already have this skill. And then three, the more consistently and adequately you can feed yourself, it'll come back online. It just takes time and everybody's body's different. Yes. I think it's a beautiful reminder to know that that is your default. So it's not you once knew. That's how you operated just right from the get-go. It was just that we've, you know, put noise in front of it. So to know that it is just a part of you that you just need to get in touch with again is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And honoring your cravings. That's one thing that I had forgotten to say, but like in order to start listening to our body again, we have to start honoring what it tells us. Mm -hmm. So when it does want food, when it does want to eat something, right? Because for years, you're not listening to that. You're listening to the diet or the lifestyle. And so one of the ways that we have to do this, we actually have to start honoring that stuff. That doesn't mean you disregard self-care or taking care of yourself. That's absolutely a component based on your individual unique needs, but like actually really listening to yourself is a huge step. So if I am somebody who decides I'm going to eat the chocolate bar and I eat the chocolate bar and the thoughts in my head kind of sound like, oh, did you really need to eat the chocolate bar? Did it even taste good? Now I feel fat. Now I'm going to have to exercise more. That chocolate bar is so bad. Okay. So how do we start to navigate through those thoughts? How do we start to shut down those thoughts and replace them with ones that are more self-serving? Mm. I absolutely love this question. It's a foundation of what I teach. So one, these thoughts are all the diet mentality. They're all that like programming that we've 
inherited from the outside world, from diet culture that has told us that chocolate is bad and that eating too much of it is bad and X, Y, and Z. So one of the very first steps in having that shift in mindset, in stripping yourself of operating from the diet mentality is to first become the witness to the diet mentality. Mm-hmm. You have to witness those thoughts because you are not the thought. You're the one in which the thought is arising. So like that thought arises within the awareness that is you like, Oh, there's that thought. Chocolate is bad. Oh, okay. What's it? What's another thought that I could maybe replace that one with, right? Cause chocolate is bad is obviously coming from diet culture. It's coming from whatever, you know, whatever person I follow online, that's not truly me. I inherited that thought. That's not mine. So witnessing it, not trying to shut it down. Cause I find that what you resist persists. Like the more you try not to think about a white elephant, you're going to think about a white elephant. So the more you try to say, don't think chocolate is bad. Don't think chocolate is bad. You're probably going to be like chocolate is bad. Right. So to allow it to be there and witness it, be like, oh, I'm having those thoughts again. Wow. Chocolate is bad. I need to make up for it and be like, okay, that's the diet mentality. Okay. I can choose different thoughts. What about it's okay to eat chocolate? What about I don't have to make up for this. My body is fully equipped to digest this. I'm going to be okay because I ate the chocolate. Mm-hmm. And you and it's through that pro- repetition and that process of witnessing those thoughts when they arise, and then choosing differently or choosing different actions. But on but acknowledging those thoughts mm-hmm. is what allows them to float by. So acknowledging and then replacing. Right. And I think a lot of us, like you said, we try to silence them, and oftentimes we try to silence it with more food. Like if I'm eating this, then I can't be thinking about the guilt I'm having, and it's just this. So not to fear the thoughts, to just actually, you know, reflect on them and maybe even start to question them. Mm, Yeah. And that was a good point of what you had said is like, oftentimes we eat it and we're fine while we're eating it. And then the shame kicks in. That's also very common. So it's the same process of just like really observing the shame and really looking at it and be like, wow, I'm really having these thoughts about how I was really bad. Where did those thoughts come from? How can I counteract them and replace them with a thought that's going to, that's going to be supportive to me? You know, uh, Gabby Bernstein calls it the next best feeling thought, Mm. right? So I'm having this thought of like, I'm really bad for eating chocolate. What's the next best feeling thought? Chocolate's okay. Oh, I love that. That's powerful. So if, if you were to recommend one book for someone to really start, I mean, there's so many amazing ones. You've listed off so many already. What book would you say, like, go out and buy this tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Based on my personal experience, there's two. There's, can I do two? You can do two. Yeah. Uh, The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf and Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon. And there's two different reasons why I recommend those books. So, so Linda, Lindo, excuse me, I've called Linda, she recently came out and changed her name to Lindo and also her pronouns. So I want to honor and respect the shift. Mm -hmm. They wrote health at every size and they have recently come out and said that there's some like wellnessy diet culture language in health at every size. And so they recommend that you read body respect first. Now that said, what I personally believe is that because I was caught up in wellness culture and the thinness is better paradigm and calories in, calories out, when I read Health at Every Size, I was somewhat more receptive and open to all of the Health at Every Size research and understanding because she talked about food quality, because she talked about sugar and processed foods. So for someone who's just stepping into the anti-diet paradigm, I highly recommend health at every size because it supports you in like going from one lily pad at a time because it's a radical paradigm shift. Radical. Like it literally, and even myself, I was incredibly confronted when I read health at every size, like everything in my body was resisting what she was they were saying because it went against what I had been taught to believe my whole freaking life, my whole life. So it was really I had to like actively remain present and open-minded while reading that book. So I highly recommend that you read it, that you keep an open mind, that you hold space for what they are saying and really consider the, the education in that book. And that shifts your relationship with food and it will shift how you see health. It 
totally combats the, the, the false obesity epidemic that's out there in the world and it's radical, must read. And then with the beauty myth and Naomi Wolf, she dissects the pressure on women to be beautiful and she literally tells you why. Why do women feel they have to be thin and beautiful? Where did this come from? What are the larger, uh, larger components at play that are influencing how we feel about ourselves? What is the political benefit? She talks about religion in this as well. She talks about the women in the workplace, uh, women staying at home. She talks about when this shifted after World War II and it'll piss you off. It is a hard book to get through and it will make you so angry. But anger, I believe, is an incredibly transformative emotion. And anger helps us get out of guilt and shame. And through reading that, you will want to rebel and be like, I am so sick of trying to adhere to these standards and ideals in society. And it will radically free up a lot of the body shame you're experiencing. So those two books, life-changing books, absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. That knowledge is so powerful in starting that conversation because when the conversation has been so one-sided, when you've just heard it from diet culture, to shift, and yes, like you said, it is so challenging sometimes just to, yeah, keep even reading and just be open-minded, but it's so amazing because then you start to have, a, you know, see that other side that we haven't been exposed to. This has been so amazing. I have one final question for you. So personally, what is one thing that you feel is a fundamental component for yourself to living a well-balanced life? Hmm. Honestly, recently, something that has really profoundly impacted my life is cultivating a group of really solid girlfriends. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of sisterhood wounds. We're taught to compete with one another. We're taught to not trust other women. And I had a very limited amount of girlfriends as a result. I really felt like I was a guy's girl and that guys just like me better and I just like them better and I'm independent and I don't need girlfriends. And over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work around healing the different trauma and healing my sisterhood wound. And I don't think that I could be an entrepreneur and a business owner if I didn't have like this incredible girl gang behind me supporting me every step of the way. So that's probably like a key factor. So community and relationships, but specifically sisterhood. That's amazing. I feel like that could be a whole podcast topic on its own sisterhood. That's so beautiful. Thank you Thank so you. much for sitting down and chatting with me. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jillian. This has been awesome. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Well-Balanced Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you took a screenshot, tagged me, and then shared it on your Instagram stories. Also, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcast, I would truly appreciate if you left me a rating and review. Just let me know what your thoughts are and if there's anything you want to hear more of on the Well-Balanced Podcast.